This podcast audio is from Episode 5, Healing from Sexual Abuse and Other Trauma, a conversation with Vanessa Gallardo, MSW, from my YouTube channel, Being Happy Anyway with Glenn, also available on Instagram, Facebook, and the website, beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. To see the memes and visual content featured in this episode, visit the published episode on beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. Have you or someone you know been sexually abused by a family member? Vanessa bravely tells about the confusion and hurt she went through when a trusted family member molested her. As a five-year-old girl, she thought she was playing a game and that he was showing her love. It wasn't until almost adulthood that she realized all the hurt he caused. It led her to unhealthy relationships that caused her more pain. Vanessa explains how she goes from victim to survivor to warrior. Again, my name is Vanessa, and today I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my trauma and how I've come to surpass being a victim and becoming a warrior. When I think of trauma, I think of three steps. There is the victim, there is the survivor, and then there's the warrior. These are the three steps that I live off of whenever I navigate through any trauma that I've either dealt with firsthand in my personal life and I've also picked up vicariously at work. So through those three steps, they're not lateral whatsoever. So you can't go from one to the next to the next. You can actually bounce around. There's days that I wake up and I completely feel like a warrior. And then there's other days where I can wake up and just feel like a victim all over again. So one of the very first big traumas that I had ever endured in my lifetime was actually something that I didn't know was considered wrong at the time that it was happening to me. Unfortunately, a lot of individuals that grow up in the neighborhood that I grew up in and in similar family styles that I've grown up in, we deal with, at young ages, a a molestation from family members or from friends of the family or neighbors. It's very unfortunate, but I fell into this role. I am a survivor of molestation from a family member. You never know at that young of an age that it's something that's going to affect everything that comes next within your life. It took about five years to actually realize what was happening was wrong. By then, there was a lot of shame, there was a lot of guilt, there was a lot of just ugliness that came from it. Where I started this long life choices on trying to figure out how to obtain this sense of love, how to obtain this sense of belonging and acceptance when my own family members were not protective of me or were molding me into something that I necessarily wasn't okay with. So when I actually started my MSW program, I didn't realize that all of these emotions would come up within the program itself. It's very much a journey when you go back to school and you get your your degrees. And this opened up a floodgate of just emotions, these things that I had not really dealt with. Through my education and learning different things, I found that this is trauma. This is deep embedded trauma that had happened to me at a young age of five. When you're barely remembering your very first memories, you can vaguely remember your favorite animal, your favorite ball. I had these traumatic events that were deeply rooted in me that I was learning were blossoming into these different acts or these different ways of living that I was doing at an older age. Trauma itself is something that nobody in today's age can get away from. Trauma can be as big as, like I had said, a molestation. It can be as small as you got in a car accident. 
trauma happens to us on a daily basis, no matter where we're at. We're in a pandemic right now. That's traumatic for people. Whether it's the socioeconomic level that you're at, you don't have these resources readily available to you, to you're having to stay indoors while navigate your mental health. There's all these different layers of just traumatic experiences that are building up upon us. That's why I felt it was very important to talk about trauma in the sense of we have to navigate through it. If we cannot understand our trauma, where it comes from, and how to move past it, we sort of get stuck in this bubble. And that's where I go back to my story where unknowingly I had been stuck in this bubble. I thought my life was great. I thought everything was going well. And it took one class, one professor, one skit of doing therapy work that it just kind of opened up everything. I was reliving all of these different memories and all of these different feelings through years of therapy and through extensive rewriting of my script. I've come to realize that there are five steps that I've been able to use to get past trauma and to reinvent who I am today, understanding that, yes, I have traumatic events. Yes, they are going to manifest in my life, but they're not going to take full control of who I am. Can I ask you, first of all, thanks for your bravery and vulnerability to talk so openly and honestly about the fact that you were molested as a little girl by a family member, and I'm so sorry for that, from ages about five to 10. And then five-year-old doesn't know much about human sexual intimacy. It's hard to know what's even right and wrong. Is it supposed to be happening? Why am I getting this attention? You know, do I want this attention? As you got older and you started to understand something about this isn't quite right, sounds like then you sort of tucked it away a little bit until you were in graduate school. Vanessa, could you tell us, and then I definitely want to get to those five steps, okay? But I just wanted to know, what was it in the class that triggered the floodgates to open and for you to relive all those emotions? Was it just talking about sexual abuse itself? Are you okay sharing with us what it was that opened the floodgates? Sure. I did a hybrid class where we did half online and half in person. While online, we had to do a lot of role play. We switch roles where I'm the therapist first and then another fellow student of mine would be the client and we could switch. And a lot of times we were given a script without the other knowing. There was actually one instance where my peer in the class had to be a, a DV client. Not only was she a DV client, but all of So she was a DV client, a domestic violence client? Yes. Yeah. She was in a domestic violent relationship. All of this stemmed back from childhood trauma that had happened from a molestation. And she felt she was unworthy of anything better than the relationship she was currently in. So it showed sort of the wiring that happened from when she was a child to now that she's an adult. I, as the therapist, was helping her sort of realize these things and connect the dots where she's coming up with it on her own. I'm just helping navigate where she goes with it and validating her feelings while we get there. It wasn't until we switched that I was just completely stuck because right away, it was one of those aha moments where it kind of just clicked. And I was like, oh my goodness, I was molested when I was a child. And I've been in very unhealthy relationships growing up. I've put myself in very 
promiscuous and unhealthy spaces while going through school and undergrad where it was just a cry for help with me trying to take back my sexuality or trying to understand why I love the way I love with partners or in friendships or even with family. That's when I realized I keep everybody at bay. I never really allow anybody to get close to me in any relationship. They're very superficial relationships where I will let you know exactly who I want you to see or how I want you to interpret who Vanessa is. But no one really understood what was happening on the inside, underneath. It was in that moment that I literally had to end class early because I had all of these thoughts and just I couldn't believe it because I felt like I was in a really good space. I had done therapy before for other traumas that had happened in my life, but never had I thought back to the moment where... I had realized what had happened to me at a young age was wrong. And again, I feel that's another key point that we talk about these pedophiles that will groom their victim before they actually do any act with them or to them. I fell within that definition where I was groomed to believe that this is how you love and this is how you show love. And it was evident because like I said, I've been working on restructuring my scripts, but in order to do that, you have to go back to the beginning and follow through with everything you've done, all the choices you've made, all the things that have happened in your life from that point to now, I 100% realized that, yeah, everything stems back to this is how I was taught to love and nobody told me any different. Or I was just reaching out and trying to be accepted by my friendships, my partners, because you wanted that praise and that attention, right? Some way you could get it through maybe some sexual favors from time to time and feeling like this is me loving. But when you look back now, you think, would I have been that way if I wasn't treated the way I was treated from age five to 10, where that grooming went on and I was meant to believe that this was love and appropriate love. Oprah Winfrey talks about bloodless rape. She says a lot of people, when they think of child sexual abuse, they think that children are held down and forced into acts when there's a seduction that goes on many times. And when you're five, six, seven, eight, you're so vulnerable. Aren't we all, Vanessa? So thank you for taking me back to when you sort of made that connection. It sounds like you were quickly almost connecting dots and saying, wait a minute, some of the choices I have made in my life maybe may not have been great choices. And some of them have to do with the root of this trauma. Within the family, the only thing I could control within our family itself was being successful. And that's when I would get the praise and the, you know, I'm so proud of you. So I threw myself into school. I threw myself into my profession. Thank you for letting me take us back. You were getting to the five steps. Yes. So again, because of everything that had happened and how I was wired and how I thought I could be accepted by people or love, there was various other traumas that had happened within my life that unfortunately I partially put myself in those situations. Not to say what happened was right or my fault whatsoever, just to say that I was seeking something, which is why I was in these areas, in these spaces, and these things happened. And life can be gray, can't it, Vanessa? It can be gray and confusing when, as a young child, we're hurt so deeply without even knowing it fully at the time. 
that is going to affect some of the, the grayness in there. Keep going. And then on top of that, unfortunately, when it is a family member or a family friend or whatever, you don't come out about it right away or you feel that guilt like I did internally where you don't want to come out about it because you feel like, wow, I participated in this because I, I thought this was love. I thought this was okay. You don't necessarily have anybody batting in your court. So you're consistently either seeing these relatives or these family friends continue to come over the house, but because no no one knows what was happening. Because you're you're living with the secret, and those family relationships continue unaltered, and parties and holidays are all the same, and you're still probably kissing them on the cheek when they come and go. What does that do to a person? Exactly. Most especially, you look into the culture where I'm from a traditional Latin family. So you walk into the door of anybody's home, you have to greet every single person, give them a hug. If anybody comes up and speaks to you, you have to speak back. We're inbreded and taught to be 100% respectful within a family that you're put in those awkward situations where you have to give that person a hug. You have to greet them and be cordial and respectful when on the inside you're yelling and screaming because you don't want to be there. You don't oh, want to touch you. sounds like you felt you had no choice. You couldn't really set a boundary because if you set a boundary, with maybe someone that had perpetrated sexual abuse on you, Vanessa, how might that be interpreted by someone else? Exactly. So like I said, layers upon layers upon layers of just trauma that flourish in your life and in, in manifest in so many different ways. Because of that, I've had to rework and rework and rework the wheel of how do I get past this? How do I get past this crappy situation that I'm in again? So I've come up with these five different reasons why it's so important to have a conversation regarding trauma, even within our family. Because this stuff has happened to me, I have sort of been the spokesperson within my immediate family where I bring these issues up and I bring these conversations to the table when we have family dinners. It's actually been really interesting that it opens up this line of communication that we've never had before amongst my brothers and sisters or my parents and my siblings. I feel that although they can be very uncomfortable, it's helped so much with just navigating why we act a certain way, why we react a certain way, or why when certain events come about, it's a hard, nope, I'm not going. <laughs> Vanessa, do you find that when we talk about things, traumatic things, domestic violence, child sexual abuse, that the knowledge and insights others can gain can make it harder for perpetrators to continue to hurt children? 100%, because then there's not this veil of silence. There's not this veil of, I need to work on this and just move past it. Instead, it's more of a, no, I have these amazing humans. I was born into this family who have my back who support me 100%. And if we don't, uh, sorry for the interruption, but if I don't share my trauma with my family member, I'm assuming they're not going to have my back and that I'm living alone. And then while I don't say anything about it, and while this family member continues to come to family gatherings, and because of the way I've been raised and I'm respectful to my family and my culture, I'm still hugging and kissing them, even though I'm feeling uncomfortable, doesn't that give the perpetrator a green light to continue to do what they're doing? 
Exactly. Exactly. I unfortunately did not open up to my family, my immediate family, about what had happened until I was in my MSW program. And that was years, years after it had happened. And Vanessa, you and I know that's not uncommon. At all. And sometimes the parents then are frustrated. Why didn't you tell me when you were 10? We don't even have the language for it. We don't even know what it is. We feel a little weird about it. Then we become teenagers and we have some sexual appetites and desires. And we're like, hey, wait a minute. Why did that happen with my uncle or my brother or my stepfather or my sister, whoever it was, right? That was older than me and took advantage of my naivety. And then all that time passed and we're like, are they going to believe me? Are they going to think maybe I started it? Is somebody going to go to jail? Do I want them to go to jail? And then all of a sudden we just clam up. Or I don't know, what was your experience? You hit it right on the nose. I, again, felt very guilty because he almost made it feel like a game that we were playing. Right. You're playing a game. Exactly. So I didn't think any of it was wrong. I didn't think anything we were doing was, you know, it just, I was getting the attention. I felt yes. loved. I felt protected. And that's what I was really feeling in the moment. You felt but... love, protected, and attention. Mm-hmm. And what five to 10-year-old little child doesn't want those things? And this was from a family member. It wasn't from a stranger. It was from someone that you would have expected to do that with you. We would expect to engage a five and a 10-year-old in a game of hopscotch or in a game of uh, wiffle ball outside. And you think you're playing a game and then you're touching. Once in a while, it can feel good to be touched when you don't know what's going on. Exactly, exactly. So it wasn't until later that it, through sexual education classes at schools, that I actually realized this, what happened was not right. But it's not supposed to happen. Exactly. And, but at that point, one, I felt it was too long, like waited too long to say anything. Two, I really, really was terrified of just the entire family turning on me. I had a great fear of that. And you know what, Vanessa? And I'm sure you know this too in your professional experience. Unfortunately, with some of my clients, when they've gone to their families, their families have turned on them. Yep. It doesn't always happen, but it happens too much and it happens enough that I understand that fear. You also said something I found very interesting. The more time passed, the harder it was to now see it. Because they're going to say, hey, Dresian, why are you telling us now? That must not be true. Mm-hmm. And that fear of what's going to happen and are people going to turn on me mm-hmm. is a real fear. And then there's the whole societal view on any kind of sexual assault. It literally comes down to a he said, she said, she said, she said, he said, he said, where it's just individuals kind of going at it with each other. And I didn't well, when 10 or 15 years have passed, we don't have physical evidence. We don't have, to, I'm just going to be open and honest here. We don't have the semen. We don't have the pubic hair that we might have initially. Exactly. And all these years later, and so then we've got the he said, she said, and then unfortunately, Vanessa, I think you and I know we live in a little bit of a misogynistic world where we tend to blame women, especially women of sexual assault. When a woman's raped, they'll say, what was she wearing? Was she flirting with the guy? We've had such a history of protection of perpetrators and blaming of victims, especially when they're women, that you just sort of pick that up as a cue in society, that I don't know that people are going to have my back. So I think I'll just keep quiet. And some people take things like that to the grave. And unfortunately, I have come into contact with so many amazing humans who are doing just that. 
they'll open up to me about it, but it's very much, you're the only person that knows this is going to my grave. Please don't say anything. And it's, it's more common than not. And it's more common than not is my experience too as a therapist. Yeah. Part of that is again, that veil of silence. I'm going to mask myself. I'm going to silence myself. I'm going to tuck this part away in hopes that I never have to deal with it or I never have to worry about it. It manifests in so many different ways within our lives that you can't not deal with the trauma because not dealing with the trauma, that's when you get this baggage ideology that we talk about all the time where it's like, yes, I have my baggage, but do you want to be the person that just has their baggage kind of sitting there in the corner? Or do you want to be the person that's able to sit and say, I have my baggage. It's over in that corner. I'm currently working on those two suitcases. And then after I'll work on this one and slowly you start putting whatever's in the baggage away because you can at that point. This is so refreshing for me that you are so open. I admire you. I applaud you. I think this can be so helpful to so many people or the millions upon millions of family sexual abuse warriors, right? <laughs> I really felt that you and I having that conversation is going to be something that lots of people can relate to. I agree. And hopefully this can inspire people who've gone through this and other traumas to find a safe place to talk to someone, you know, a safe therapist in the area that, that they live in or a family member they trust or a clergy or community member, something they believe in that works for them. Don't live with it alone, right? So go ahead. Let's, let's get these five steps. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that because the first one is for me getting support. So in order to get support, you are going to have to open up and tell your story. Whenever I talk with anybody who comes to me with a similar story like this, I let them know first off, this is your story. So however you want to narrate it is 100% up to you. You don't want to go into details. You want to block certain things out. 100% up to you because that is the first step in getting through the trauma is taking ownership of your story, narrating it to somebody and making that part of your support system. You need a support system when you're gonna go through this journey because there's gonna be some great days where you feel unstoppable. It's that warrior talk, like I can do this, I'm doing amazing, look at me now kind of person. But there are gonna be the days where you go back down to, I'm a victim. I woke up today, I don't feel the greatest. I have that icky feeling on the inside where you try to wash it off, but it won't really go away. So those are gonna be the days that you really need that support system to call them and just say, you know, today I'm having a really bad day. And talking with your support system and letting them know, these are the things that help me when I'm feeling down. These are the things that I like to hear when I'm not having the best day. So that it gives them the tools that they need when you make that phone call and say, if I call and say, you know, Glenn, I'm not feeling the greatest. Then Glenn's able to pull out that toolbox and be like, okay, let me tell you how Because amazing. you've helped me know which tools to have in my toolbox, right, Vanessa? Exactly. Because as I support you, I've listened to you. We've had a dialogue. And I care enough about you to know some of the things that might be helpful to you, but I'm not a mind reader. So as you in step one with healing from trauma and navigating through trauma, being a warrior as, as often as we can, knowing that sometimes we still may feel like a victim or we may feel like a survivor and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, that as we share with others how they can help us, that can help others be a good support for us, right? A lot of times it's just listening, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes I've called people and just cried 
no words are said. I just cried. And it was just something that needed to happen because my body needed to release whatever was happening on the inside. And they um, stick with you. Exactly. Exactly. So definitely put some real thought and effort into who's going to be part of your support system. Make sure that the support is positive. But because when you're dealing with trauma, it is so easy to internalize those feelings and think you're unworthy of this type of support. You need to have it. You need to have that positivity. You need to have that person that's going to be like, you know, today sucks. That's fine. Tomorrow's another day. <laughs> On to the second step, making sense of what happened. Making sense of what happened. Is that right? Yes. I'm and taking notes. <laughs> and the reason this is a vital key that I've seen so far with any trauma that I've dealt with is it helped provide me sort of what I can control. I can't control what happened to me. I can't control how it happened, why it happened. What I can control is making sense as to, okay, this happened to me. This is how I'm internalizing it. And this is how I'm making sense of why this happened. Because a lot of times, this is a family member, for instance. But a lot of times, we don't get to talk to the person who's done this to us on this level. Because a lot of times, it's very, I don't know what you're talking about. or you're Dismissive, crazy. avoidant, right. denying, mm -hmm. blame the victim. Because if they acknowledge it, they go to jail. Exactly. So their motivation to lie is 100%. Oh, yes. So again, making sense of it is not necessarily for anybody else except for yourself. For you, you making sense of it. I think earlier, Vanessa, you said something about changing the script. Is that something like this where you're trying to say, what is it that really happened? Now I have a support. I have a friend. I have a therapist, hopefully both, that I shared this all with. Now I've got things sort of sorted in my head a little bit, and I'm going to go ahead and believe myself instead of believing the perpetrator's perspective if I talk to them or a family member that says, oh, you must have misinterpreted that game you were playing when you were young. That must have been an accident that they touched you there. We make sense of what happened. It sounds like we believe ourselves too, right? Is that yes. part of it? Yes. And again, these steps are not going to be something you can do within a day, within two days. Second step alone can be something that you deal with for the next three months, six months, a year. And it's all just dependent on you having to reframe your thoughts, say, okay, yes, that happened to me. This is what conspired from it, but this is what I'm making of it. And Vanessa, would you also say in these five steps, we've talked about the first two, that there's also could be some fluidity to them too? Of that while course. I'm making sense of what happened, I'm still going back and getting that continued support. Of course. Not like done with step one on to <laughs> step two. I think honestly, they kind of build on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Because without the groundwork of having that support, you're not going to be able to have those conversations with yourself on believing yourself. Yeah. So they build upon each other for sure. The third one is realizing you're more than your trauma. Oh, I love this one. I just love that little title. Realizing we're more than our trauma. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the times when someone is labeled something, I was molested. I could literally allow myself to be the victim of a molestation for the rest of my life. And be and defined by that. And exactly. limited by that. Exactly. And controlled by that. Exactly. Anything that happens. My crutch would be, oh, but I was a victim of molestation. There's a sense of time frame where you're going through that because you're still having to navigate it in your head as that actually happened to me. But part of getting out of that victim and into the survivor mode is understanding that you're more than just this event that happened to you. 
And the easiest way that I've been able to explain this to anybody that I've talked to before about molestation or trauma has been, think of when you go to school and you get an F on a test. When you get that F on a test, yes, you flunked it. It happens. You can't go back. You can't fix it. But that doesn't mean that every exam that happens after that is going to be an F. You now know what you have to look for, what you have to study a little more on your weaknesses and what you excel at so that you can be prepared for the next test that comes your way. We learn from each experience, right? How to better navigate through them. We learned what doesn't work. and Yeah, same thing can be said with trauma. I don't want to have anybody think this is something that can happen overnight, but you can very much learn from the experience that you had, the feelings that come with it, the way you navigated through it the first time on how you would react if this were to come up again. And it doesn't have to say that another trauma may happen to you, but in the sense of you're re-triggered because of a conversation that you had with somebody or somebody opens up to you about their own molestation and you're just like, oh, okay, how am I going to navigate through that? How am I going to get through that? And understanding that you are a human and you are a whole person before this trauma happened is key because after you walk that journey and you start unpacking those baggages and you start actually dealing with the emotion that comes from the trauma, you're still that, that whole human that you were back then. You just have a little more experience on whatever the trauma was. And that's major because you now have insight on what this is going to look like, what this is going to feel like. So again, huge to understand that you are not your trauma. Your trauma does not need to define you whatsoever. And with that, hand in hand comes the next step, which is getting a reality check. Getting a reality check. Yes. And this is the big one. This is the one that personally I got stuck on for a very long time. And it honestly wasn't until I had a mental breakdown, was medically put off of work for a few months, medically put off of school for a few months, and was put into intense outpatient therapy that I was able to get past this actual reality check. And what it was is understanding that it's not your fault. Because again, with trauma, a lot of the times, right away, you internalize everything. And right away, you start to think, I put myself in that situation. I allowed this to happen. You sort of anticipated my question there. Because I think for some listeners, they may think, how in the world could sexual activity between a five-year-old girl and an adult or somebody in their late teens, how could that be the fault of a five-year-old? What do they know? Is that how you felt sometimes, Vanessa, that maybe it was your fault and that maybe you could have stopped it? A hundred percent, because I could have easily gone to my mother and my father and said, hey, this is what's happening to the games that we're playing. Or I hold a lot of what I got from the outpatient therapy is I hold a lot of internal guilt because it was introduced to me as a game. In my nature, I'm very competitive and I love to like, let's do this kind of deal when it comes to any kind of game. So a lot of the time I was seeking out this game. You may have initiated the game sometimes. Exactly. Vanessa, while we're on point four and realizing it isn't our fault, have you watched Leaving Neverland where Michael Jackson's survivors talked about being molested by him? I have not. It's an excellent, excellent documentary. Very well done. I think it's done by HBO. If anybody has a HBO or HBO Go, I highly recommend it. Of course, it's painful. It's difficult to watch as these two then boys, and they were both somewhere between five and 10 when it started with Michael Jackson. Hard for me to watch because I was such a Michael Jackson fan. I saw him in concert twice, just loved him. He's singing Heal the World and, and Man in the Mirror while he 
was abusing the little boys. They really didn't feel like they were being abused either when they were little. They were just happy to have this attention from their idol. One of them twice lied under oath and said that Michael Jackson had molested him when Michael was arrested and accused of it. You know, he was arrested once and he was in a civil trial another time. One of his victims twice even lied for him. One lied from the first time, the second time told him, I can't lie for you again. Then Michael never talked to him again. They both felt too like it was their fault. First, they didn't understand it. Then they blamed themselves. And then when they came out, everybody says, oh, they just want money and stuff like that. That's a great documentary to help people understand child sexual abuse. Oprah Winfrey does a one-hour special afterwards. The audience is all men that were molested. And uh, yeah, it's it's excellent. I'm going to recommend that to you, Vanessa. But so you were... Even as you were talking, even now where you're a warrior and you're working on these five steps, I still hear in you some blame. Yeah, I could have told my parents. And one reason I brought up Michael Jackson is because many times perpetrators are charismatic Mm -hmm. and they have a power over their victims. Victims just don't speak out a lot of times for years and years and years. And and it can seem, we look back and we think, why didn't I say anything? But it could almost be under a spell too. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you just touched on right now is the way that I've been to express what was going on is at the age of five, I was still learning my own voice. Like I didn't know I had a voice. I didn't right. know I had the option to yell out at my at the top of my lungs and say, this is happening to me, which is why it wasn't until much later that I was able to find that voice and be like, yeah, this did happen. And this happened at this age. And these are the things that happened and the things I saw. So again, that's why I go back to, it's a journey, not a journey for anybody else other than yourself, because I very very much feel that I never had a voice about any of this that had happened to me until recent. And now that I have the voice, that's where like this warrior step kicks in because it's like, yeah. A voice is everything, isn't it? Everything. I think as we look at the history of human oppression, the first thing to try to do is take people's voice away. Mm -hmm. Shut up. You're seen, not heard. Let's get back to women. hundred years ago, women barely got the right to vote in this country. And even some people today, it's being made difficult for them to vote and to have a voice, right? And to even believe they have a voice. So that's just so powerful, isn't it? And that's why I'm so appreciative of things like the Me Too movement. Right. I'm sitting at home thinking, wow, these women are so incredibly powerful. These men are so incredibly powerful because they're coming out and they're telling their story. They're not staying silent any longer. They oh, yeah. are basically Time's saying, up. yeah, they're saying screw the ramifications. I don't That's care right. what you do at this point. This is what I have to say. And that for me was super powerful to see, oh, especially, yeah. on, especially on social media. The social media oh, yeah. in a heartbeat is going to blow up and everyone's going to see that. We need people to speak their truth because we can't make things better until we know what's going on, right? Staying silent ends up being complicit to the oppressors and the abusers of the world sexually and otherwise. So again, step four, getting a reality check is not your fault. Whether it was Vanessa or Michael's victims or anyone, go ahead. And it ties in beautifully to the last point, finding the meaning. Finding the meaning? Yeah. Okay. And what I mean about that is I was molested at a very young age. 
I made my choices through my life through this, like because I was seeking something or trying to fill a void or whatever it may be. Later uh, down my life, I was in a domestic violent relationship. I was raped by a fellow coworker. And trauma after trauma after trauma, eventually it just kind of popped. So when I was on this journey, I was finally able to open up and say these things, label them for what they were, and accept that is when I found my voice. And that's when I started to find the meaning in everything that has happened to me in my lifetime, where I have found my voice, but that doesn't mean others have. So if I could sit somewhere and have this dialogue, share my story, and let people see how ugly the journey may be, but how grateful you'll be after you take it, I'm going to do that. Just to interject something real quick. I think anyone watching this sees a strong, powerful, beautiful person that believes in themselves and And does say time's up and I'm not going to be defined by what happened. I'm not going to feel guilt and shame about it. I still have some confusion about it. Mm -hmm. Still may have some resentment about it. I'm more than this trauma and it is not my fault, even though on some occasions I initiated some of those games. It's still not my fault. There was an adult that knew better. If a seven-year-old child came to you and wanted some sexual contact, you wouldn't engage in it and say, well, it's their fault. They started it. You'd say, you know what, mijo, that is inappropriate. We don't do things like that. But if you want to play a game, I'll show you a game we can play. So when there's an adult and a child, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter who initiates it. Tell us a little bit more before we end today about finding the meaning and what your meaning is. So finding the meaning is in any experience you have in your life, you're able to create meaning and attach it to what had happened. So for me, for instance, I've had these traumas happen throughout my life. And every time I go back and think of them or I follow these steps through this journey of how to get past the trauma, the one thing that always comes back to mind is the meaning is now I have different tools and different experiences in my tool belt where I can now help others find their voice. I can help others get through this journey. I can sit in rooms with people who have just had this happen to them and really sit in that dark ickiness with them because I know exactly where they're coming from. Vanessa, when you help others by listening to their stories and help them heal from their own traumas, does that help you heal from yours? 100%. I feel that sharing my story in my own narrative, every time I do it, I feel like I say it a little bit stronger or I have a little more emphasis on certain parts of the story. It just reminds me of how far I come from the very first day that I was in front of any therapist or any group sharing my story. I feel that through being able to share this stuff, being able to open certain people's eyes and show people that you do have a voice and you can say these things is just, it's such a great feeling for me because it's a sense of me being able to help somebody. More often than not, I'm running into individuals that will just dump everything. All emotions, all feelings. This is what happened to me. How am I ever going to get through this? I get to be the person that I wish I had at that very young age where nobody was telling me this was wrong. Nobody was checking in to see why I was acting a certain way. Being able to do that for somebody else is sort of my way of paying it forward in hopes that we don't stop communicating about trauma. We don't stop talking about those hard conversations. We don't stop bringing light to these things that are happening. Because Because the more we talk about it and are aware of it and allow children, teens, and adults to talk about it, the sooner we can 
help stop it. Exactly. We can end it. As Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer and all these powerful men that took advantage of privilege and money that they had, as they've been called out, it makes it harder for others to abuse in that way. It's the same thing happens in families as we talk about it. And then we feel good and we feel powerful. And that's that warrior in us. We're going to help win this battle, a battle for truth, and justice and equity, that children should be raised in a dignified manner. Their naivety should not be taken advantage of. Well, thank you so much for this, Vanessa. This is absolutely wonderful. And I hope that we can have future conversations and maybe even future conversations about sexual abuse and trauma. So let me just review. We wanna go from being a victim to a survivor, to a warrior, understanding that there's going to be some fluidity in there. We're going to feel a little bit of all three sometimes. And then the five steps of, would I say, healing from trauma or managing trauma? How would you like to put it? I would say healing. Healing from trauma. Get support. And that's open up and tell your story with someone you trust. And that is definitely trustworthy. Number two, make sense of what happened. Number three, realizing we're more than our trauma and not being defined by it. Number four, getting a reality check, which is it's not my fault. Even if I was engaging in it when I was young and naive, particularly we're talking a lot about sexual abuse today of children by a family member. And number five, Find the meaning, the meaning of my life. Now, what can I do with this? And is there a way that I can use, now these are my words, the pain that I went through to support others, to help others, to help others in their own healing, and to help society so that family sexual abuse isn't as prevalent as it's been for generation after generation after generation, and identifying some family patterns that have allowed it to go unchecked. Maybe even giving children the opportunity to say, you know what, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with my uncle or my grandfather. I don't like to sit on his lap. There's something about that I don't like. And just taking the time to listen and not forcing them to be respectful by putting them in a position where they're almost being re-victimized. Is that right? Exactly right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? These are really hard conversations. Don't be afraid to be the one who's not the adult in the room bringing up the topic. Awesome. Well, thank you, Vanessa. Okay, um, let's sing along with Whitney Houston, The Greatest Love of All. I believe the children are future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Everybody searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend. I decided long ago never to 
Find the video version of this podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or on the website beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. This channel does not provide therapeutic advice. It is intended for informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical diagnosis or treatment. Please seek advice with licensed therapists in your area.